Thank you for listening to the First Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to all of our Sunday morning sermons. Be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a sermon. Enjoy today's message. Have you ever ridden in a car and maybe you were riding with a parent and a pothole just leaped out in front of them and hit your car and it hit so hard that your car got out of alignment. Maybe your mom or your dad looked over at you and said, don't tell your mom or dad about that. (laughs) Ever have that moment? Or maybe, maybe you have driven a car and I have in my life an old car that needed a tune-up and then kind of went, <laughs> kind of rode like that, and it needed to be tuned up. Maybe cars don't need tuned up today. Or maybe in your car, you've had a compass in your car, and it got kind of miscalibrated or off course, and so you had to drive your car, the old cars, you had to drive around in a circle to recalibrate the compass. Maybe you have a cell phone that the home button isn't working quite as well anymore, and so even on your cell phone, you might have to turn it off a certain way and hold the button a certain way to recalibrate it. Now, over the last few years... Our culture, our environment has pushed us, shoved us, changed our behavior, maybe stressed us, created anxiety in us. And, and I am just here to say that maybe you need to be recalibrated. Back in the old days, we would call it a revival or a retuning or a refocusing. But in this series, in Romans, and if you're joining us online today, we're glad you're here. Maybe you're on vacation. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you experience the highs and the lows of the barometric pressure and have a migraine. Maybe you're sitting with your coffee and your cereal or your biscuits and gravy this morning and watching and tuning in. Hey, we're glad you're here with us. But we've been going through a series called uh, Modern Romans, Finding True north, and we've been talking about calibration. And we need to recalibrate when the integrity of the instrument has been compromised. And I would say there's a good chance because of what we've experienced that we need to refocus and get back on to true north and allow ourselves to be recalibrated by the Word of God. And true north is following after Jesus in every area of our lives. In other words, that true north is allowing Jesus to be Lord, to be king of our lives. Not me, not your pastor, not our eldership, but Jesus Christ is Lord. Now you've got to understand that in the book of Romans, Paul is writing a letter to a church that, that was divided in a lot of different ways. And one of the ways was that there were 
there was a Jewish section of the church and there was a Gentile section of the church and the Jews had been kicked out of Rome for at least five years. And so they had been kicked out of church because Caesar said, you guys are too factious. You are too controversial. All you do is argue. So you're out of Rome. Now, maybe you have some neighbors that you'd like to do that to banish them, exile them for a while. I, I, or, or somebody that you know, like to exile them. That's what Caesar did to the Jews. And now they are returning to Rome. And church isn't the way it used to be. And they're trying to reinforce what they believed church was ought to be. Now, some of you are our guests today. And some of you are guests because you came from a church that had some divisions, and you didn't like the way things were going. Well, you might like us, you might not like us, because we call a spade a spade around here, and we try to get along. In fact, some of our new new folks with us said, "I said, well, we have we don't we're not a perfect church." And he said, "Well, this person said, well, you're more united than the church that we left from." And so there's a lot of division in Christianity today. Folks, that's not the way it ought to be. Paul is calling them to unity, but he's also correcting them and saying to the Jewish portion of the church, he's saying, here's the controversies. And, and, and Paul says, hey, this is what you're saying, but this is not right. Number one, you need to follow all of the Jewish law. And that was including what they ate and, and practicing the Sabbath the way they practice the Sabbath. He said those laws don't apply any longer, is what Paul was saying. And plus, if you were with us last week, you now know that you're never ever going to earn your relationship with Jesus Christ. You'll never be able to earn it. It is a free gift of grace that God gives you by faith. And number two, Paul was saying this, that you need to get circumcised. Well, first of all, I was talking to our early service this morning. I'm not going to explain to you what circumcision is, but it is a physical act of the flesh. And guess what? We don't have to do that any longer. If you look at Acts chapter 15, if you're a student of the Bible, the Jerusalem church, the apostles said, hey, This is one thing that you don't have to do. But here are some things. No idolatry, no immorality. They said, don't eat meat or blood sacrificed to idols. And those were the qualifications or the the boundaries that they created for the Gentile church. Which, guys, aren't you glad? Because I think almost all of you, probably 99.9% of us, are not Jews, but we are Gentiles. And we've been accepted and grafted in to be the chosen people of God. But Paul, in this chapter of Romans that we're going to look at today, he's saying this. He's saying, there is something that unites us, and it's bigger than any law, and it's it's bigger than circumcision. And what he's going to say is a continuation of what what we talked about last week was that the priority in the Christian life is faith. And faith is very, very practical. And I would say, as we recalibrate to true north, faith is essential. 
The Lordship of Jesus Christ and then faith in him is essential. And faith is simply this. Faith is the knowledge is knowledge in action. It's knowing what you ought to do and being obedient to it. It is acting it out in real time in the flesh. Now, none of us are going to practice faith perfectly. In fact, a lot of times we'll walk away from a situation and we might say to ourselves, well, if I had more faith, this is how I would respond. This is what I should have done. And that's the Holy Spirit convicting you and saying, hey, you're going to get another chance in your life to practice faith. And over the last few years, folks, we've had a lot of opportunities to practice faith. And, and, and what's discouraging and encouraging to me is the people of faith have stayed faithful through a very difficult time. But if you'll notice, there's an increase of anxiety and depression and mental illness at the same time because people don't have faith. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's turn to Romans chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 1. We're just going to look through all of Romans 4. We're going to talk about this faith that saves, the faith that gives hope, the faith that is relevant to our lives today. So, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Now, he's addressing Jews because Abraham was the father, the spiritual father of their faith. Next week, we're going to celebrate Father's Day. And guess what? I believe fathers are just as important as mothers. They are. We need both spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers of the faith. Paul is saying, He's creating common ground because here was the Jew of Jews, Pharisee of the Pharisees, Roman citizen Paul, writing to the Jews and the Gentiles in Rome saying, hey, we have a common father. And then he goes on in verses 2 through 4, he says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but are his due. Now, have you ever had a boss that you worked really super hard for and put in extra and give all your oomph, and then they give you your paycheck, and, and he says, here, this is a gift to you. And you, you want to say, no, thank you, but you still want the check. But you say, no, no, this is not a gift. This is what I earned. Right? That's what we'd all say. Hey, we worked hard for our money. We deserve that. We earned that. But you've got to understand, Abraham was the pagan of pagans. He heard the voice of God, but he still had idols when, when God told him to move, Abraham believed God and he moved from the Ur of Chaldeans to this place that he didn't even know where he was going in the promised land. It would be like your parents, like you, saying, hey, honey, I heard the voice of God and we're going to leave everything we know in this great Hoosier state and we're going to move to California. And that... Your, your spouse or your kids are going to look at you and say, why are we doing that? And, 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 and you say to them, well, because I heard the voice of God. 
And some of you are going to say, well, we didn't and we aren't going. (laughs) But Abraham didn't do that. He went. And you've got to understand, Abraham's righteousness was not by works. He was just a pagan like you and I would be without Christ. And that faith, that simple faith, was counted as righteousness before God. Now, Abraham wasn't any different than he was as a pagan. But because he believed God and he moved on what God said, it was counted to him as righteousness even though he wasn't right. Now, how crazy is that? We are counted as righteousness not because of work we have done, but because of our faith in a God who forgives sinners. We are saved by grace through faith. i got a question for you. Some of us were raised very legalistically, very rule-oriented. I am one of those. I don't think that there was a more legalistic church than what I was raised in in the Christian church years and years ago. We're not like that anymore. I hope we're not like that anymore. And, and, and I went to a Bible college that was very legalistic. We had to wear a coat and tie every night at dinner. I mean, it was pretty much this was legal and this was illegal. And we talked in terms like that in, in college. And I, I thought, how would, is this going to apply? And then, being the creative child I was that was a rule follower, I figured out creative ways to do the wrong thing without getting caught. Now, if you live a legal existence, I just want you to know that one night I was crawling in through a, a window into my dorm because we had figured out a way to break curfew. We had a curfew. It was like, I don't know, 10 or 11 o'clock for college. I mean, I was 20, 21 years old and I still had a curfew. Can you believe it? And I was coming, and my, my, my buddy was the RA for the floor, and I was coming through the window. One of us had pushed one of us into the window, and I pulled the other, I mean, pulled the other guy in, and then we were caught. The, the head resident, our, our dorm parent, our spiritual father, caught me in the act. And, uh, <laughs> and my poor RA friend was right there by him, so he couldn't cover for me. So that was one time I was put on probation for breaking the rules. I was on probation a few times while I was in Bible <laughs> I understood grace. In fact, I went before the dean one time, and it was a little scary. I hate to tell the story, but my parents laughed because I had broke another rule. And I thought, well, I'm going to get kicked out. I'm going to have to look for another Bible college. And uh, God's calling still on me, but I just... You know, I just didn't really think that, you know, but going before the disciplinary board at, at school was like going for the throne of God without the grace of God. And it was scary. And so I was on probation that semester, too, one of two or three times. Anyway, I never told you that story before. That's kind of a new one. And so, so I understand grace. Please understand. I understand grace, and I hope you do, too. But, but a lot of times, I was pretty good outside of <laughs> those few times in my life. I was pretty good, and there was a point in my life because I was doing all these good things and things, I just thought God owed me. So when I prayed, I prayed expectantly, thinking that I'd earned it and I deserved it, and that God owed me. 
And folks, you know, God didn't answer the prayers the way I thought they should go. And I was a little bit disappointed and it hurt my faith. But it also had, I had to step back and say to myself, you know, God really doesn't owe me anything because he has given me everything. He has provided, he's a God of provision and of abundance. And he has provided everything that we need. So, Paul is, is saying here, he's making it absolutely clear that our relationship with God can either be wages that we can earn, we can try that and do that, or it can be a gift. And what I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you is to receive it as a gift of grace because he loves you. And to the one, this is in 5 through 8, he says, And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then he goes on, he says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And then he goes on in verse 8. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? And then Paul goes on to say, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. Now think about this. Here was a pagan, far from God, who heard God's voice and simply obeyed. I just want you to know that, you, you probably already figured this out, that, that most of my life I've been very simple. If, if I think it's the right thing to do, I, ju- I just jump in. Now, I just want you to know that there are many times that I've jumped in and I wish I would have thought about it before I did it because I didn't expect the consequences because I thought it was right. And God's redeemed me and he's given me grace. But, but Abraham did that in faith. And I got to tell you, that when we simply believe and obey, God honors that. He really, really does. He is faithful. He never commands you to do something. He never impresses on you through His Spirit to do something that He doesn't provide for you for. Then He goes on, let's look. Paul writes in verse 11, He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness, that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And he's talking about us. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Now this is mind-blowing. This is mind-blowing because here 
Paul is saying, and by the way, did I tell you that for the first hundred years of Harvard University, that they had to, law students had to study the book of Romans for the way Paul argues with the church in Romans to understand the reasoning and the logic behind his arguments. Did you know that? Paul is doing that with this church, and he's proving the point that that God is counting righteousness to someone who was uncircumcised pagan because of his faith. Folks, this, this is so applicable to you and to me because he does it the same way today. Then he goes on in verse 13, he says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. There is only one way to God, and that's through faith. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. And that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the ones who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. See, Abraham is the father of all who have faith. Now, this is really good news to us. I was, I was looking up uh, the number, the population of religions in the world, number of people in religion. I didn't count them. This is, if you, if you Google check me, these are approximate 2015 figures. There are 2.3 billion Christians in the world. Still the world's leading religion. Second to that is Muslims have 1.8 million. Do you know how many Jews there are in the world? Descendants of Abraham. Uh, I want to say genetically DNA, only 20 million. Now, the number of Jews in comparison to the number of Christians is less than 1%. And I would say that there, in this crowd today, there is probably less than 1% of you that are Jewish by genetics. Less than that. The good news is Abraham became father of us all. We are all chosen. We are all called. We are all accepted into God's family. Isn't that good news? God provided that way in Acts chapter 15 and here in Romans. He says, Here, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. You see, this idea of faith is not detached from reason. This idea of faith is attached to the God that Abraham knew and the God that we can know. That is so very important. But I also, as I was Googling this stuff, which is high-level research, I know, anybody can do it. 
I found out that in the United States there's a concerning statistic that concerns me, and I hope it concerns you, that up to 30%, almost one in every three people are either an atheist or an agnostic. They don't acknowledge that there is a God. Now, in the devastation of what's going on in our culture right now, and not having a common morality and not having a common grace and understanding, is we're seeing school shootings. We're seeing people attack people because they are a skin of a different color. We are seeing crazy things going on in our culture. And to me, that cries out that there is no understanding. There is no moral right and no moral wrong because there is no truth in our culture generally. No absolute truth. And the Bible there is absolute truth because there is a God who is the creator of the universe who gave us boundaries, not to earn our way, but to have a common understanding of right and wrong. And that Holy Spirit that goes inside of every Christian is that moral compass that we are recalibrating always to the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Now, Abraham put his faith in a God that he knew. My question is for you, do you know God? Our faith is determined by the God that we know, the God that we understand, that loving Father that cares for us, who has a crazy, crazy love for you, that created everything that we see and and, and exist and, and created you for a purpose. That is the God that you need to know. The God of Abraham. The God of the New Testament. The God that Paul is writing about. He goes on in verse 18 and 19. He says, in hope, and he's talking about Abraham here, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he'd been told, so shall your offspring be. Well, Abraham was 90 years old and he didn't have any offspring. But he believed God. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. She was approximately 90 years old. Now I'm I'm an older man. I'm got some chronology in my life. I'm, I'm a person of a certain age. Now, if my wife and I had a child here in the next nine months, I would not be super excited about it. <laughs> Nor would, would she. We don't have the energy. We don't have the wherewithal that we did in our younger years. Now, I love my grandchildren. And, and maybe some of you are raising your grandchildren, and you can testify that it takes a lot of energy to raise them. Abraham, at a hundred years old, believed God against all hope. He didn't waver. His faith was solid. And that's the difference between the gospel and religion. You see, the gospel gives hope. The gospel is future-oriented because of Jesus dying for our sins. Religion is dead. 
And all it does is condemn. It brings the wrath of God. But the grace of God through the gospel gives us life and gives us hope. And when I preach, a couple of my goals is to be hopeful and also to be helpful that what you hear and what you see can be used and to encourage you to continue in your faith. Paul says this. He says, No unbelief made him waver, talking about Abraham again, concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Now, here is a hundred-year-old man who is believing God that he is going to have descendants and his faith doesn't waver. It continues to grow. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now, as I preach today, as we've looked at this passage, have you counted how many times counted to righteousness has been in this passage? And what does he say every time? It's faith. See, Abraham believed that his God was able to do what he said he was able to do. The question is, do you believe that our God is able to do what you need him to do in your life? Is there anything too hard for your God? If there is, you are serving and believing in the wrong God. Because nothing is impossible for our God. Because our faith is rooted in who God is. If he can create the universe, if he can create the world, if he can create every animal, if he sets the whole universe in motion and everything we know, can you have faith in him? And so the most important thing we do in this life is to know him, to know God personally in a relationship. And then Paul goes on in verses 23 through 25, and he says this, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. Get this, hear this, but for ours also. For ours also. Paul writes this for us. Not only for the church at Rome, but 2,000 years later, he's writing to you. And he says this, it will be counted to you who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Dying for our sin and buried. Raised for our justification. Just as if I never sinned. Folks, we need to recalibrate to true north to the Lordship of Jesus Christ so we can be connected to the God. The God that nothing is impossible for. Do you know him? We have to know the God who raised Jesus from the grave. We have to know him. And second, we need spiritual fathers and mothers. Who's your spiritual father? Who's your spiritual mother? I can tell you in my life, growing up in church, who made a difference and an impact on my life because they were consistent, they were faithful, they weren't perfect, but they lived it out and they were a part of the body that met together weekly. And they showed up because they knew God and they believed that he would do 
whatever they needed. The God of the impossible that made all things possible. And if you're a little older and chronologically challenged like I am in some ways, understand this, that you may have retired from work, but you will never retire from serving, from serving God. Folks, people need your presence in their lives, spiritually, emotionally. Need somebody to go to and say, hey, I need some help. Hey, I, I've never handled this. I'm raising these kids and I don't know how to discipline them well. I, I, I need some people to walk me through this valley. I've had a couple young guys come to me and say, hey, you know, I've struggled with porn. What do I do? Hey, I've got it on my phone. I have to have my phone, but how do I deal with that? And, and I have the opportunity to say, hey, you know, we all struggle. That's part of Christianity. And we get that. But we serve a God that is faithful. And, and we can be accountable to one another. And God will prevail if you turn your life over to Him. And allow this area to come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He wants to do that for you today. Will you please stand as I pray? Eternal God and Father, we are grateful for this day and we're thankful for the power that you give in, in our lives to overcome sin. And Father, we need an extra measure of your faith in our lives. And Father, we need your Holy Spirit's indwelling power in our lives to bear forth the fruit of character that we need in our lives. And Father, you know, I know there are sins that beset us, that, that are, are whipping us right now in our lives. And Father, I just pray for deliverance and transformation only you can bring. And Father, we put place our faith and our trust in you because you are God alone. Father, for those that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we just ask that you would <sighs> woo them, that you would uh, convict the Father, that you would move them in such a way that they will come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives. And Father, for those that are, that are at home or traveling today, and Father, need an extra, extra special measure of grace in your spirit, we just pray that you would do that as well. Father, you are our hope, you are our deliverer, and you are our Father. We place our hope and our trust in you and you alone. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.